Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We would like to acknowledge that we are on indigenous land of the Keech, Shumash, and Tongva people and pay our respects. Salad or Dolly, through a great party, we all drank Bacardi, it got kind of gnarly. We're light as a feather, we're tougher than leather. Together we're weirder, we're weirder together. All right. Stop being poor. <laughs> Stop being poor. What a sing-along. What a sing-along moment. Oh my moment. God. It was like torture, but amazing. Last night we went to our beloved Lago at the Coronet to see Z-Way perform. She's doing this tour that's kind of promoting her new book yeah I think it's called Black Friend um, and she did an hour of sort of sketches and comedy and music and it was or I haven't stopped thinking about it yeah what were you thinking this morning I mean I guess for people that don't know who Z-Way is um, she I first came across her in 2020 I think was is kind of when she reached critical mass when she started doing this kind of internet talk show on Instagram, I guess it had existed before on YouTube, but she would kind of, I think it was called Baited with Z-Way initially. And it was, the premise of it is, was kind of inviting white guests in, she's black, and and basically baiting them into making racist comments. And then, (laughs) and it's this, so her whole thing, she did an amazing show. There was like two seasons of um, called Z-Way, I think. And it's the just, one that you got really into was the one with Callaway. Oh, Caroline Callaway was on Instagram and that was amazing. Cause she has this ability to sort of it's a it's a tightrope act. Like yes. she is basically creating it's like what you know, what do you call it? It's like smoking near a powder keg. Like it is there's this all this simmering racism in America just under the surface. And she has this ability to kind of almost just uh I don't know, just like point out a blind spot when you're least expecting. Now, as a straight man, which do you give less of a f- about, women's rights or gay rights? Mm, less? Less. Equal. You equally do not care. That's a f***ed up question. That's a f***ed up answer. And she does it in such a genius way. She, when someone knows how to take the piss, which is an English term and probably Australian term. We use it too. We also take the piss. And Americans don't, know the art of taking the piss the same way that certain other cultures know. Now, Americans are cruel. Yes. They just don't know how to be funny and cruel? Or what are you saying? But taking the piss is making fun. So the way she does it is chef's kiss in taking the piss. But Chef's kiss, take the piss. And so some of her stuff, it's so layered and it's so brilliant. Like she did a song about being a cute baby, like a cute, sexy baby. That was so uncomfortable and she interacted with the audience's discomfort, but yet it was sexy. And what it said to me was, it spoke about that relationship to wanting to be the baby in sex and in the relationships. You're taking care of. And and being a woman and being, Mm -hmm. and how that's in this day and age, like being a woman to be, be playing the baby sexually or in your relationship is sort of not 
PC and not what you're meant to do, but but it was sexy because she's sexy and she's doing so. The, it may, it was so provocative. This little performance song she did about Goo Goo Gaga being a baby in a sexy way, and she it was it was just very layered. And some of her stuff is so layered that you know it makes you think. Yeah, totally. It was, it's it, I found it interesting watching it because as a white male, I'm very much like in the demographic that's like the butt of a lot of the humor. So it, there was several references dur- during the show to like th- white men being nervous. But what you realized as you watched the show was everyone was nervous because she equally baits black everyone. people into admitting they're homophobic yeah, or, or anti-Semitic anywhere. or yeah, like everybody is or hypocritical. And I think that's part of it too, that she's like, she's the classic, um, sort of satirist who is like revealing the hypocrisy in the audience. And she does it in such a good way. Like she did a slide of all these famous black heroes and we had to say who they were. And, you know, even I'm sure the black audience were like, oh my God, I I really have to know who all these heroes in the black community are. But within that, there were also some that were mislabeled by the media. Like they had a picture of Whoopi Goldberg and it was from like an entertainment website that was saying it was Oprah Winfrey. So there was this other comment going on at the same time about the way the media treats black celebrities as kind of like in some way interchangeable, indistinguishable, but... Yeah, I loved it, man. It just reminded me of – it was interesting because I was talking – we were talking last night about how we'd gone to see Aisha Radhika a few months ago, and I was really thinking about how a lot of these personalities who kind of found their audience online, they sort of got famous online, what it's like to then turn that into an IRL experience. Like Bo Burnham has done that really well, I think. Like he created this whole fanatical subculture on YouTube – but he's translated into being a great live performer. And there's something so exciting about watching these performers who have been working under quite controlled environments, you know, where it's like basically in their house doing things exactly as they want, having the courage to throw themselves into the chaos of live performance. Like I, I don't know, I'm kind of in awe of it. And who you collaborate with and what your business mind is like. And yeah, I think she's so... She's so, like, obviously clever. And the thing that I was thinking about, too, with her was about the the sort of danger aspect, because it felt very punk rock to me, her performance. And I was kind of just thinking about how, you know, when you go see a great performer, like, say, Iggy Pop or someone that dances with danger, there was always the sense as an audience that you could be collateral damage in the performance. Yeah. in the most crude idea was like going to see Gigi Allen. Am I going to get blood or shit on me? Like, is it going to, you know, am I going to get hurt in the process of this person making their art? And Z-Way has that. She has that danger where you feel like, is everyone going to come out of here unscathed? Is everyone going to be okay? And I just love that, just that punk rock side of it. It's her. very powerful to have a young, you know, petite woman be that in that position as well. To Absolutely. feel in danger of someone who physically couldn't, you could definitely, you know, wouldn't hurt you physically. She's sort of petite and pretty, but it's so great when someone like that can have that power. And the song we were chanting is, it was basically a kind of, um, you know, socialist anarchist lyrics about the, you know, what it was exactly the Republicans kind of rhetoric 
about that you should just pull up your bootstraps yeah, yeah. and get a job. And if you don't have health insurance, go get some. It'll right. save you money. So when we were <laughs> chanting, stop being poor, she made the whole audience to a Beyonce song sing the lyrics that were like a socialist um, pamphlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really, really cool. And um, the other thing I was thinking of, it reminded me of was early Sarah Silverman, where you sensed that, like, yes, it was this kind of character who was like this very cute and sort of sweet and like, I don't possibly know what I'm doing. I'm just a girl type right. thing. But offering the most cutting criticism of society and culture. And it's almost getting it in that package is so deeply subversive. And it and they both have a thing where they made you feel like co-conspirators as the audience. Yes. So you were watching them, but you also felt like, am I in on this? Like, you know, what's that? Like you somehow feel like they're making you a part of this whole thing, which is interesting. Yeah. Like they're sort of saying like, am I the joke or am I in on the joke? Mm -hmm. And that's like the danger of that type of performer. And it's so amazing. I'm so grateful for it. Happy for her. That was sort of our first date night out too, post Australian tour for me. Yeah. It was so so easy to pop into Largo. I know. It's it's such a jewel. It's so great. It's so great. And um, But we did have a fun night in the other night with um, Nomi Fry and uh, Jessie Pearson, her friend, who actually you were in Chloe's Seven Years short film with Jessie Pearson. He played my husband. Yeah. What was So t- wait, talk about that movie. People don't know about yeah, that Yeah. So Chloe Sevigny, who, I mean, she, I'm such a fan of hers. She, I'm a little jealous of her acting career in a funny way because I think you know, she's had a lot of great jobs, but so have I. But I really, she was one of the first ironic style icons. Like I don't remember before her people who dressed, apart from Abby Hoffman or something, Kaufman, Hoffman. Andy Kaufman? Yes, I mixed, I mixed Andy <laughs> Well, with, Abby Hoffman did have irony in the way he wore the American, yes, the Uncle Sam hat. Exactly. So before the two of those dudes, I'm sure there were others <laughs> That wore, I like they are two examples of fashion icons. Yeah. yeah or just subversive, ironic. True. She melded, like she was wearing bad 80s looks in the most stylish way before anyone thought to bring out an old look that was just too soon. Now you see so many people in Ken Burns shirts or whatever they're called, those- Ken Doan? Yeah, Ken Doan, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ken Burns where they just, they slowly zoom in and tilt while you're wearing Okay, them. Ken Doan, if you're not Australian, did- did these paintings and <laughs> sort of brightly colored. Yeah, yeah, but when you pull out things that are like like oh that's bad, so bad it's good. But now people do that all the time. She did it first. Well, it was also just one thing about that like it was like fashion literate, which is interesting because I think a lot of people's style is designed to communicate with basically us weekly or like you know a very mainstream audience but she was making like and continues to make like extremely fashion literate choices that reference style and have intelligence and humor and so that's yeah she mixed up her own great style with and she became a muse of course and um anyway cut to she has a short film based on a short Story, a cool short story, which is a very good idea if you're going to direct a short film. I and think. it was her first. Was it her first directing? I think thing? so. I might not be sure, but she did. She did this one. It's called Kitty, about a sort of neglected little girl who starts turning into a cat. 
And and so yeah, I played the mom, and I was just thrilled to 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 work with her. And is she, it online somewhere? Can we put a I'm link sure. to it? Like, I'll put a link to it in the okay. in the notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and Jesse played your husband. Yes. And he's uh, the host of a podcast called Apology that I'm gonna check out. I and he is out. hosting my baby daddy's book. Oh yeah, David Netto. There's a book you should buy for everyone for the holidays or yourself called David Netto. And he's mm. one of the best interior designers. It's a beautiful book. And he's a really good writer. But Jesse's, and Jesse's hosting him at the bookshop. He's in uh, Culver and, City, and, you were saying. Yeah, that. yeah, which was a coincidence. But it was so fun. And um, yeah, so we had a very, it felt like a very 90s hang. So Nomi Fry is an amazing writer and a new friend, New Yorker. And she's host of Ioni's new favorite podcast, Critics at Large, that she finds a way to reference every week so far. So we'll be waiting. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so she came over and he came over and we just hung out and like- Eating and drinking. Yeah. And it was fun. Like it felt like the 90s because we were showing our- um, Ben has a couple of Dan Klaus pieces of uh, graphic novel. Is that what you would call his Yeah, book? yeah, yeah. yeah. And other, we were showing our like collection things and talking about books and looking at a Nan Golden book on a couch together. Like it felt like the '90s when you were just sort of showing each other things that 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 lit you up and and sharing references. And I don't know. It's like I don't know what a party would what a hang would be like. But but I think something about showing. And then we played a game called Questions. Yeah, Jesse had this has this game Questions, which is basically like we had four of us and each person. It took a turn asking an incredibly personal question yeah. of someone else. Um, it was kind of funny because great. we were already at this point in our hang very tipsy. personal. Oh, yeah, very personal, yeah. So I was going to say it was like not – it's sort of an icebreaker, this yeah. thing, and we didn't really need to break any more ice. But I like, I like Nomi's question for you was how does it feel to be so beautiful? Yeah. Which is like a very – it's actually a really interesting thing to – I you know, know I, I've I've kind of we've talked about that. Like I've I think it's a different experience you have when people favor you based on a first visual impression. And it's something I wonder about other people how it feels to be beautiful. So it's funny that it's it's something that it's funny because when people say you look beautiful to me, it I always think that's so nice to hear. And when I tell someone they look beautiful, because because. People don't every day, they're not like, I guess if you're like a supermodel and you're, you know, people are like, beautiful, divine, oh, darling. Bellissima. Yeah, but uh, you don't, it's, it's not that you forget or whatever, but it's sort of, it's not something you think to say to someone who's beautiful because you assume, well, they know. Well, that's true. But that's like we were talking about when you meet someone really famous in a, a musician and you forget that. Like when you feel if you're struggling for conversation, you forget that really just complimenting someone's work never goes astray. In the right, yeah, it, it's definitely got to be the right way because some people who must hear it all the time, it depends on the person. If you can feel like, oh, they, they'd be okay with this. I, I can tell Mick Jagger, yeah, yeah. I love this song, but yeah. it just definitely has to be the right time and place. Together we're weirder, we're weirder together. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hi, beautiful babies. I'm Ben Lee. And I'm Ioni Sky. And we are the hosts of Weirder Together podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, you might like some of the podcasts that our friends make and release on the Weirder Together podcast network. Like punk legend Jello Biafra's Renegade Roundtable. Multidisciplinary artist Brock Enright's trippy sonic journey, Vague Data. Making Ways, the art of music, an exploration of the ways that musicians and visual artists communicate and collaborate. Raw Impressions with Lou Barlow and Adele Barlow. I love that, one of my favorite married couples. And The Blag Show with Sarah and Sally, a collection of never-before-heard vintage interviews with legendary artists. And The Future of Being a Musician with Ben Lee. Find these pods on your favorite podcast platform now. Love ya. And so what was your what was what, your what answer? surprised what was your, yeah. me was that I felt a sense of freedom at certain points mm. because of being beautiful. That mm. felt similar to when you were young before you got boobs and you can run around and climb trees without your shirt on. Mm. Um and and when you're young and you know how to run really fast during a game of tag or hide and seek and just that free it's interesting that it made me feel free which i don't know why i thought when i was just doing sort of active imagination quickly thinking what's the first thing that comes to mind and then the second was a lot of uh stress about sexual shame that comes early but that might not be related to being a pretty kid and then, I, of course, I didn't, not of course, but I didn't think of it. And I'm not saying, I'm not like that trope of like, I was such a nerd and so ugly. Like, yeah, I yeah. actually... Well, until you took your ponytail out and your glasses and shook your head. You yeah, know, I didn't have that like ugly duckling. Like, I actually was... You were always a beautiful duck. I was, I was a funny looking baby and a toddler in a way, but I was yummy. And then I was beautiful... And more beautiful in some ages and less beautiful, but it, sometimes tomboyish. But I never was like, you know, fugly that became beautiful until I feel like I then with experimenting with makeup and funny looks and, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I definitely messed up what what God gave me once in a while. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. Plucking my eyebrows. I mean, something like just- Overplucking them. Overplucking them. But that was the 90s, the right? Making white, really white makeup. Yeah. Um, bloated from, you know, you know, too much drinking, whatever. Certain phases yeah. where you become kind of uh, different- you know, you're, the haircut's funny, the clothes might yeah. be, whatever, but I was never. But do you, so what was interesting was your next question, the question you asked Nomi back was, do you think I'm smart? Which was so vulnerable, especially after um, after talking about beauty. And I mean, that is obviously part of the predicament for beautiful people. Yeah. That they are often both underestimated in the sense of people don't assume that you can, like your cup cannot be overflowing that much. You can't also have intelligence. But also that beautiful people often learn to rely on their beauty sure. and don't develop themselves intellectually. I did because, I don't know. It's That'll be an interesting thing to analyze for me, not for you maybe beautiful babies, <laughs> but why I cared so much about being charming, interesting, and smart. Mm. I do think you do rely on certain things. And and also there is that um, thing with when kids are at certain ages, like why girls sometimes are more verbal than boys. This might sound bad to say, but some boys for some reason at a younger age are 
I guess doing like motor skills and running around. There's some, there seems to be some correlation, yeah. And maybe does, yeah. girls, if you have an active, physically active girl child, you know, this could happen too. Whatever you're focusing on, like if you're the kids running around, they're not like naturally using their energy toward talking and right. vice versa. So I think that's right. If you're relying on your looks and your muscles, <laughs> You don't think you need the other. I don't know why is what I'm saying. I like, I think because I wasn't, didn't do well in school and I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. My nickname was Sky and Space Cadet, Earth to Ioni, Earth to Ioni. So maybe I was like, wait a minute. I got to like. It's funny because I've never. Get it together. I never uh, associated imagination or people who got lost in their imagination or spaciness with lack of intelligence. Yeah. I always viewed it as it was slightly um like you weren't necessarily adaptive to the needs that were th- like the school or your family or whatever had around you, but I don't yeah. think it's much to do with intelligence. It's just to do with like the ability to kind of get lost in your own thoughts because there's tons of I mean there's so many like highly intelligent people that are quite self-involved in a sense and yeah, like lost in their know. own experience. I mean, it's funny. Is it genetics? Like my mom uh, is intelligent, but she doesn't, she wouldn't say she was. And so I didn't, your family, it was like being, having accolades and being intelligent was very praised. My family, it was like, it was sort of looks and, but I think my mom was enamored with intelligence and glamour and different things. So I don't know where, is it genetically from my grandfather who was bright, my my aunt, Joanna, maybe my father, I, I don't know yet. But, um, but I don't know why, I don't know where I got that from, like mm. that I really wanted to come off as smart. Yeah. What do, what do you think? You don't know? Um, I don't know, but it is really important to you. And it's, and I think, um, I, I think some of it is just that you are really smart and also very, your mind works in a very unique way. So it does sometimes. Neurodivergent way? Well, may, possibly, <laughs> but it, it, it does, it, it's, it's, you do have a type of, a type of intelligence that I think was overlooked yeah. a lot in your childhood. And yeah. I think that's enough. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was like, because I was sort of that's very positive it. as a little kid. I think um, sometimes my needs emotionally were sort of overlooked. Sure. So sometimes I think we just have these sort of kind of wounds that we grew up with. And as an adult, it becomes really important to be yes. seen in certain ways. And I think a know. lot of women especially might get that and why you have that that sort of stereotype of, of a college student woman student who's like yelling at everybody and being really like aggressively showing you how intelligent and all her thoughts. I think Mm. that could possibly come from being overlooked all those years up until you get to that college age. Trauma, baby. Yeah. Um, What, how is your writing going? It's going going? really well. Um, I am into some darker days but it's um I'm I'm thrilled. I mean I love it. I'm so with the strike. I'm so happy I have this assignment for my book, and I I'm just I'm just thrilled. And as it goes along, I'm learning so much about writing and storytelling, and mm. it's just been everything great. Even the harder times have been terrific. I think one of the fun things from outside watching you write this memoir is. It's the same as making an album. Like the first, the beginning stages of making something are fraught with 
sort of over-examination yes. and kind of internal drama. And then as you get really into the weeds, it becomes a task that in a way the drama has to get sucked out of because yeah. you can't sustain the level of intensity of like neuroses and worry and overthinking. Yeah. And now you're like in the task in this way that's incredibly just practical and graceful and getting it done. And it's, yeah. it's beautiful to watch. I know. I'm going to have to really, you know, I have time to think about what's too much, what I don't want to say, of course, what I don't want to say about others, how to say things that are touchy or, you know, could hurt somebody or how I want to, you know, I want to go far and deep with myself. But how that that I have time to kind of, I can write and then pull some stuff out or finagle it, finesse it. Um, and, and I'm letting go of, uh, you know, wanting to be the best writer in the world and all of those things. So, um, and I'm thinking, it makes you think so much about other people's processes and Mm. I don't know, it's just been a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've been going through similar with, even though touring is something I've done for 30 years. I think it's been a very long and slow process of me getting just really grounded and accepting in it. Yeah. And I feel like my live shows are sort of getting better as a result of just getting like emotionally sober about what my job is. Yeah. You know, I've, um, I don't know. It's one of the first times it's like I can actually envision the growth of my live career in a way I couldn't before. Like I was listening to, Oh, we both listened to that Jeff Tweedy on um, I How was, Long Gone. He that was, was my dreams, my three a.m. put three a.m. put the podcast on to fall back to sleep. So he did. Jeff Tweedy did become part of my dreams, <laughs> and I was looking at an album of his, which I woke up in the morning. I was like, "That's not a real album cover," <laughs> but it was a funny picture. But yeah, I I but, do I think about also like Sofia Coppola, like marrying that. When you're young and your writing and work is so poetic and so genius, but maybe doesn't have the depth. I'm not talking about her specifically. You and I were talking about this. And as you get older, you have a depth to you. Mm. But then there's the fear, oh, will I ever have that like young genius? But I do think we can kind of marry the two. What yeah. were you going to say about Oh, no, the thing I was just thinking was I just heard it was funny that this thing jumped out at me. Like Jeff Tweedy was talking about they have a jam room backstage at that they set up at every show and it's got all their gear in there and they go in and play for an hour before they go oh, up on stage. Cool. They can run through songs, they can sure. just jam, they can warm up, they can they keep a lot of songs in circulation. And it was the first time I heard something, it was almost aspirational. Like I yes. thought, wow, I'd love to get my touring to a place where I could have that. And it's been, I think when you've got a really long career in a craft, it's almost hard to reinvent your goals, you know, but I'm starting to see a level of touring that I think I can get to in the next five years I'm or so. I'm surprised you know? more people don't do that. It's I expensive. Mean, but the huddle, <laughs> like the Madonna huddle, like yeah, yeah, where yeah. you pray, and yeah, it's like- the chili peppers. That's fine, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. But is that doing as much as, because like I bet you basketball games, obviously they're playing. And obviously if you're on tour, you're practicing every night. But that's so, on but stage. that's on stage. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is genius. Anyway, it was just a little moment, but it was cool to feel that like aspirational thing yeah. kick in where I went like, Ooh, I'd like to have that one day. Yeah. And these are goals you can keep working towards That'd as you grow something. That'd be a funny job. Like, what's your job? I'm the backstage band. <laughs> Speaking of backstages, Largo is one of my favorite backstage experiences. Well, it's an iconic backstage. Because it's yeah. like great 
and chill. And there's always someone you're, ext I'm extremely impressed by. And the vibe, it's like the most perfect way to interact with someone you're a fan of or a friend that you like. Well, it's also like you're vetted. Because you're vetted <laughs> and you're back there and you're in. Yeah. You're in with the in crowd. And it's the the atmosphere Flanny creates is just like, it's not puffed up. Yeah, it's a so good vibe. So no one can be a diva except for Pete Holmes. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so Ioni. I'm um, just saying he, he um, ruffled my feathers. Okay, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> you could keep that in. I know. Well, I am, sure. Hey, I'm keeping it in. I'm, I'm just, just moving saying, on. I'm like, let's give it that my, much. I've, I'm, I've got a, a big ego. No, yeah, absolutely. That's all, all good. Um, <laughs> so uh, we were also reading a little bit of um, Gucci Mane's memoir yes. to each other, which yes. is pretty enjoyable. We were so that. Gucci Mane's memoir is incredible because he – you know, he got hit with two murder charges. He was in prison. He went through, kind of had a drug dealing business at the same time he was starting um, as a rapper. Uh, did it? Did it give you, as you were hearing some of the reading, some of those chapters? Did it give you anything you want to do in your in your memoir? I just loved like how are you going to address your jail time? I have in the good trap jail story. Oh, Disneyland jail, of course, and yeah. also Robert Downey jail. Oh, that's true. Someone else's jail time. Yeah. Um, yeah, Disneyland jail, visiting Downey. Um, yeah, I was impressed with that. I love the scenes he created. I'm just thinking memoirs are interesting because you're really essentially writing a lot of scenes as well as your thoughts. And the scene where he goes to that Rick Ross's house yeah, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> they kept trying to like make him just they wanted his late his branding to be the guy who murdered yeah someone. rick ross said if i was you every verse i'd be saying i murdered someone and got away with it he was like i don't want everyone to be talking about and me i just the way he and yeah. his his um you know girlfriend or friend left yeah. that party or whatever that scene yeah I, i'm just fascinated also with how much is ghost written and how I, when i'm reading memoirs now i'm thinking i can i sort of almost it's not psychically Get an I get a vision of how it might have been done. Like, you know, the way you, whatever, you yeah, know. Yeah, when like, I hear a song, I can tell usually if there's like, a writer, producer involved. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah, can yeah, kind sure, of imagine, sure. oh, I bet you this was in a home studio. Or I bet Not that you would know necessarily if it was in a home studio or if it was in a professional studio, but sometimes you get, it's either your imagination or, so I even think some, was it someone doing a voice to text? Like even Julia Fox. Well, that, no, but that's been a huge, she's made, she has really come out swinging for anybody who suggests there was a ghostwriter. She says yeah. no one was involved. She no, I'm not saying there was someone yeah. involved, but I'm thinking of how she did it. So yeah. sometimes I even think, did she? Because some of mine, I'm recording yeah, voice yeah, and then transcribing, and, then transcribing yeah. and some I'm not. Um, but yeah, I like to think how he wrote that book because it's so interesting. Like, I don't know. I'm just Yeah, that fast. feels like it was more spoken. Julia Fox's one I'm going to keep going with. I have a real bias against people starting with their family. Um, I'm the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know about people's families. For me, um, I go back three generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. You're so, like, ugh, I want now. I want I now. Well, I think the thing is, we're talking about show business memoirs. I essentially I see stories. everyone in show business as self-created. Yeah. And I'm more interested in the character they've sure. created than I am in the reality. Yeah, I think for me, I'm just I do love like old, old I love history and old. So for me, it's almost two separate things. One's like a historical story. I just like, you know, I'm I'm my grandmother would say, What story do you want before bed? The three little bears, Jack and the Beanstalk, or the story about cousin Leah our, falling in the shower, our family, and then she would literally—it was so boring. Not even that excitement of my poor cousin Leah 
she's fine, by the way. But um, <laughs> you know, it would, it would be like <laughs> Grandpa Jerome and Grandpa Ida had Benjamin, Frankie, Andre. Like it was literally a family tree. She yeah, was yeah, telling yeah. me, and I was like, "Story of the family." It's not even the story. So anyway, I just like history. So I like. But anyway, well, I, yeah. I love what you love. Um, let's <laughs> let's wrap. I want to plug a couple things. Albert I've, Brooks, though, I want to plug. Oh, yeah, let's <laughs> like plug, I have to. Yeah, let's plug Listen, Albert Brooks's documentary what's on HBO, "Defending Your Life." I think they've called it right. To um, um, did which is your your favorite's probably in order of the three. Defending between. your life. Um, Lost in America, then Modern Romance, and then Mother and the Muse are sort of together at the bottom there. But um, and what about um, what was the other one? Um, Love Story or something? Modern like? Romance. Oh, Modern Romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, there was also Real Life. Oh, yeah, that one. There with yeah. the reality TV. Yeah. One. But anyway, yeah, that's we can be plug good. that for sure. But I'd actually <laughs> prefer to plug. Um, I've set up this Shopify store that people can find through my socials. Where I'm selling the the end of the DJ Dad Bod coasters. Yes, if you want to have fun in your house or yeah. whatever. And then on the back, there's a QR code where you can get all my mashups. But then I'm also so I've dug fun. out all the vinyl because yeah. it was so easy to use it that I just dug out all the vinyl. And some of them that from my past, some there's like a bunch of like Awake is a New Sleep vinyl, but there's like. The noise at a record that I have like four copies Whoa. of, and so are anyway, you pricing can, them higher because it's not kind that Kind of, many. I'm just kind of pricing them Keep to move. Some. You have a I'm couple, keeping okay, five right, right. copies of every record, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm pricing selling. them to sell. They're, and they're selling. selling. They're they selling. selling. So um, and then I have two Tasmania shows coming up in November. Mapatazi, sixteenth and nineteenth. One in Hobart, one in Launceston. So people can find those links too, and uh. Otherwise, for now, I'm just I want to go to Tasmania. Oh, next time. I can't go this time, Not but this time. I've never been. It's a beautiful country. We'll do it. And you're a beautiful baby. And so are you, beautiful babies. Bye. Together, we're weirder. We're weirder together.